This is a reading from Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way? A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance, of the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They're baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Excellent. Thank you, Freddie. Um, just want to offer a few little reflections on that passage before we um, share communion together. Now, um, you're all highly attentive during the notices, weren't you? And if you had to have a favorite one out of them, um, it may have been the one that caught your, your eye, not your eye, your ear, uh, was that we have been awarded half a million quid, another half a million quid, as you do. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's pocket money now, isn't it? Pocket money for us. Half a million quid um, to do more work on, on this building, which is absolutely incredible. And the, a lot of the money will go towards um, the high kind of masonry. So you know when you walk around the building, if you do, so if you ever notice all the roofs falling off, so we're going to stop, stop that happening. And um, so just be careful. Um, and that window there is, um, it's the last window painted by, it's painted onto the glass by, who's it by, Kath? Where's Kath? Can't find you, Kath. Kath. Joseph of Arimathea, yes, from the Bible, yeah. Um, chap called Joseph, um, it's the last one in the whole of the country by him, so it's got real significance and real worth. And so it's going to have, we're going to give it a good old, what we as it known really here, uh, uh, we're going to give it a good old clean and um, it will be absolutely stunning when you walk in and you see that um, in all its glory. It'll be absolutely beautiful, really, really beautiful. Um, but as you kind of lower your eyes, uh, you'll see, um, I call it a sculpture, the right word is beginning with an R, but it's an unfamiliar word and as a dyslexic I can't pronounce unfamiliar words, so I'm going to call it a sculpture, but you see Thomas there and then you've got the beloved disciple who um, is very feminine and masculine, and as your eyes are drawn to the right and left of that, um, you may notice things that look like big gravestones, Can you, see, you might not be able to see them where you are, you can have a look at them after, and on those, they're not literally gravestones, but on those things that look like gravestones are three three um, things that are written. One is the Creed, um, one is the Lord's Prayer, and one is the Ten Commandments. So it's the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. So back in the day, 200 odd years ago, if you were going to come here and get confirmed, um, uh, you would have to, in order to get confirmed, you'd have to be able to recite all three of those things before you got confirmed. And, and what's brilliant about some of the theological training at the moment in the Church of England is that Caelan will do all three now. 
No, no. Um, uh, so you would have to, uh, you would have to be able to recite all three of them. Now that sounds a bit intense, and it and it, and it is in a way. But actually, they were on to, they whoever they were, they were onto something because what they were realizing was this: was that um, the Ten Commandments for them was about right behavior. Okay, that's our first B: right behavior, how you behave right in in the world. Okay, you can have a discussion whether that's true or not, but that's what they were there for. The creed, the, the creed I think we need more money now, uh, the, to, uh, the creed was about what to believe. So Ten Commandments are about <clears throat> believing the right things. The creed was about, sorry, Ten Commandments behaving the right way. The creed was about believing the right things. And then the um, Lord's Prayer was about, you know, the right way to live, the right kind of, the, the right way to worship. So you, and then some people have managed to kind of squeeze it into believe, behave, and belonging. So, so the creed is about how, what you believe, the um, Ten Commandments is about how you behave, and the Lord's Prayer is about how you belong to the community, the worship community. So in order to kind of get in or to get confirmed, uh, you'd have to be able to recite all those three. Now, we're not going to do that this morning, but wouldn't it be really interesting if we um, redesign, not redesign the whole church, that would be interesting, it would be absolutely exhausting, um, but actually, we had our own three up there. What, what would they be nowadays? And if we weren't um, if you didn't have to social distance, I would say, uh, you know, have a little natter to your neighbour. Um, what would they be now? What would we want to emphasise if we wrote a creed about what we believed? What would we want to emphasise about um, the right way to belong to a community? Would it be to say the Lord's Prayer? It's not a bad start. What would we want to write about the right way to behave? Would we go for the Ten Commandments or would we a bit be, you know, we'd go for something a bit different, a bit more lovey-dovey, wouldn't we? You know, love your neighbour. Susie's nodding at that and we'd probably go uh, down that route. But it's a really interesting exercise to do. And you might want to go and have a look at those three things after. Now, the reason I mention that is this. Because in today's passage, in Mark's Gospel, where we're going to be hanging around for the summer, um, we had um, kind of this eruption of news come onto the scene where Jesus is beginning to, and Mark, by writing his Gospel, um, redraw those three things. Or to re-kind of design what it means to belong to a community, what it means to believe the right stuff and what it means to behave in the right way. So the way Mark writes his gospel, he's just like, you know, um, uh, does anybody here, have you got people here who like small talk? Anyone like a little bit of small talk? People here who hate it and uh, prefer, when you go to a meeting, are you someone who just thinks, get to the point, or do you have to have a cup of tea and do all that nonsense first? And you know, I had a meeting the other day with somebody, it was brilliant, he just sat down and got to the point. I was like, where are you from? You know, where, you know, that's a, can you just go around every meeting and do that? Um, so Mark gets to the point, not like that little digression there. Mark gets to the point and says, the beginning of the gospel, Jesus, the son of God, he lays out who Jesus is. And then he begins to redesign what it means to belong and redesign um, what it means to kind of believe. And the really interesting start of the whole gospel um, is simply this. When Mark says the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the word good news um, is a Greek word. And the Greek word is something like, I can never say it. Exactly. Well said. Um, uh, it begins with an E. And um, you, you and Galeon, you too, Sarah, you, you and Galeon. And it means good news, okay? Mark wasn't the first person to use it. The first people to use it was the Roman Empire. Have you heard of them? You know, the big, the big bad guys, you know, literally bad guys. And um, they, they, were in, they were in charge of the Imperial Rome. And they would go around saying, I've got some good news. I've got some 
Eungelion for you, just what you want. And they would go around saying, I've got a little bit of Eungelion for you. And the news is this, um, we've defeated um, Europe. We now run Europe. And everyone would go, yeah, cheer, cheer, cheer. And they would come in with a great procession with their horses and some eagles like we got there. Always nice to have an eagle. And you come in with your eagle and all these kind of great processions. And they would be saying, this is the good news. The good news is Rome have won again. There's a sort of so the good news is, um, but they may not tonight. So don't get your hope. You know, don't read too much into this. Um, the good news, the I forgot. I didn't realise we it's a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the that's the good news. Okay. And so here Mark is writing and saying all the people kind of in politics are saying and running the show and being kind of dictatorial, this is good news. And then suddenly Mark says, no, this is good news. This is as good news as the empire. Do you get it? This is not, are you ready for this one, Shane? This is non-imperial, you like this one, Felicia. This is non-imperial good news. Did you like that? Yeah, I thought you liked that. This is non-imperial good news. That's what Mark's saying. This is a different kind of good news. This isn't a Roman Empire good news. This isn't a system you've got to all kind of slot into. This isn't an oppression. This isn't about whether 2% get rich and nobody else does. This is about a good news, a new way of being in the world. And Mark introduces his gospel and saying, this is the good news, this non-imperial good news. This is the news. And so this kind of opening, this introduction, when you would have heard it for the first time, read by Freddie all those thousands of years ago, because Freddie's older than he looks. He used to read it to the New Testament times. He would appear and read it. Um, they were all like, well, what's this good news going to look like? Because if it looks like the empire, and that's the only reference point I have, Freddie in the next minute is going to come on on a horse and he's going to have the whole empire behind him and he'll be dressed like a little thing around his head and look, you know, almost like a bishop. He looked beautiful, he, you know, and, and that's what they were expecting and that's the great build-up. You get in this kind of build-up, it's good news, it's going to be brilliant, this is what it's going to look like. And then suddenly, and you notice when Freddie read, it says this, it's great build-up, the good news, the Ewagelian business is coming. And then suddenly it says this, and Jesus came from Nazareth. I was baptized with everybody else. That's it. That's this non-imperial good news. Just somebody coming from Nazareth. And no, is Nazareth in those, well, it still is in those days. It was up north, and no offense, Rach, not, it was, not much good came from up north. Not like nowadays, where, where God's best comes from the north, you know. But in those days, it was the south where it seemed to be happening, you know. But actually, Jesus came from the north, a peasant area, and it just says this, uh, Boltman says, you know, he appears as someone who is unknown. And that's the beginning of this non-imperial, this new way of being in the world that comes up. And it is incredible and it's mind-blowing. And I love us somehow to kind of hang around that thought for the rest of our lives. I know uh, that's not long. Uh, the rest of our lives and allow it to kind of capture our total prophetic imagination to think that's the stance that we take in this world. We don't take the stance of the emperor. We take the stance of this nondescript person who, who is great, of massive news is made about, and he just steps onto the scene, and this is Jesus. This is the way of being. This is the good news. It's this kind of nondescript, single, vulnerable person who goes under the water. That's the new thing to believe. Jesus is starting to redefine what real belief is and what real power is. It's a complete reversal of the kind of Roman Empire. 
The next thing Jesus does is this. You'll notice my little reference to the north and the, the south, right? You pick that up and see. Um, it's simply this. Nobody goes to the wilderness in those days. Everybody goes to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's where it's all happening. It's like Dudley. It's, uh, it's everybody goes there. That's where it's all happening. You go to Jerusalem, that's where the temple is. You go to Jerusalem, that's where the money is. You go to Jerusalem, in fact, that's where they thought God lived, in Jerusalem, in the center of the temple. Literally, not in some weird metaphorical sense, but that's his address. You know, you've got your own address. That's God's address at the temple. You could write to him there or her or whatever, and, you know, he'd, he'd reply. And, um, and still try, try it now. So that, that's where they thought God lived. And here we have a complete redrawing of the boundaries of belonging because everybody, it says in Mark's Gospel, leaves London and comes to Dudley. Everybody, they do, don't they? Everybody leaves and comes to the wilderness. <laughs> That's not saying Dudley's the wilderness, sorry. But do you see what I mean? Everyone goes to the place where you're not expected to be, where God wasn't expected to be. He's supposed to be in Jerusalem, and he redraws the boundaries of belonging. There's so many people, us, people we know and love and care for, who think their own way of being in the world means that they're just, they're not, you know, they don't fit into Jerusalem. If they don't fit into Jerusalem, they don't fit anywhere, you know. They don't fit anywhere in the world. What Jesus does, as it were, is takes his magic marker and draws a whole massive circle and says, everybody belongs. Everybody belongs. And he removes the kind of center, as it were, of Jerusalem to the wilderness. And those who feel kind of a bit outcast, not knowing what to do with their lives, at a little bit of a loss. Maybe if you're watching at home, you feel like that uh, as well. You don't know where things fit. It's those people Jesus comes for. And he turns up with his non-imperial good news, his own creed, as it were. And he says, this is how you belong, not by saying the right words, but by following me. It's an action. It's involvement. It's doing stuff. It's not knowledge. And then you're part of it. And he redefines what it means. And he turns it away from the center of everything to the wilderness. So that's what we're going to be doing in the summer. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Mark's Gospel and um, pottering along and seeing um, how that all uh, begins to pan out. I'm going to end it there because we've got communion. It's very exciting. So um, let me just pray and then Caleb's going to lead us in a few short prayers and then we're going to be sharing at the Lord's table together, which is where actually it all focuses on at the end of the day, the painting and the creed and everything that comes down to the uh, table there at the head. Loving God, thank you that you call us by name. And we simply pray that we will be those who carry your good news in a really beautiful manner. Just like you did, Jesus, coming from the wilderness, as it were. And I pray for us that we might always be making the circle a bit bigger. That people can come involved in your kingdom. And you keep redrawing all the lines of belonging. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.